This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Drug and alcohol addiction crosses all socioeconomic levels and can impact any family. Whether you live in the suburbs or in the heart of a major city, drugs can take a hold of someone you love and change them. Learning to recognize the signs of a drug or alcohol problem at home can help address the problem sooner rather than later. But how to address it remains a challenge for most families. Here with more on all of this is Dr. Rich O'Neill, psychologist and a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. Welcome. Thanks for coming in, Rich. Good morning, Linda. So first of all, help us understand that recognizing the problem is a challenge, a bit of a challenge for for some families. Explain that and and why is it so difficult? Well, uh, let me preface that by saying there's multiple factors and they differ from family to family and person to person. So we can talk about some general things. In general, uh, accepting anything that's painful is hard. We like, human beings like to avoid pain right? Uh, And so accepting the fact that somebody in your family has an alcohol or drug problem is going to be a painful thing. It probably collides with the image that we have of who our family is, what our family is. It's a great family, you know? And then all of a sudden, you start to recognize that somebody in the family is not who you think they are, and they are headed on a path to destroying their life. Also, doesn't it reflect somewhat on you as a parent, if it, in, in a sense that in some sense, your ego in some sense is tied up with the success or failure of your child? Absolutely. Our, a lot of us think, you know, the way our kids go out in life really reflects on us, right? And if our child is an alcohol addicted person or a drug addicted person, that means we've been a bad parent. I don't buy that. That's a way to blame yourself and target yourself rather than deal with the problem, rather than face, oh, this is a very big problem we have to deal with. And instead, you blame yourself rather than look outside you and say, okay, here we got a problem. What are we going to do about it, right? So we put the energy towards targeting ourselves rather than dealing with the problem. So once you've identified it as a problem, let's say yeah. you've come to grips with it, it's, it's a problem. How do you begin to decide what to do about it in terms of, you know, the process you go through? Is it, does it have something to do with the, you know, what are the considerations? Is it the age of the person, the strength of the relationship? What goes through the, you know, that process in terms of making a decision as to what to do? Uh, well, I would say probably the first thing is simply recognizing that there's a problem. And a good guideline for that is looking at whether the person is doing something that is in some way harming their life, okay? Or they're doing something that is totally inappropriate for their stage in life, like a child. Children uh, often start to drink if they're having troubles in their life, in their family, at very early ages, shockingly early ages. I've had people in my practice who tell me, yeah, I started to drink when I was seven. Oh my. Yeah. And so, and then, you, you know, of course, they're dealing with trauma, a traumatic family that they're trying to deal with, maybe sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Oftentimes, people have uh, addicted parents, right? Or very dysfunctional parents in some other way, or absent parents. And so they're er- very early on. So if you start to just know, ask yourself, oh, is this person, whether a child, doing something that's inappropriate? that's having some harm, harmful impact on their life, 
that's a good sort of nutshell guideline to does this person have a problem because alcohol and drugs pervade our society they are everywhere and we accept a lot of uh, drinking and even using drugs. There's a lot of latitude in the system. In There's a lot and how we perceive things. So the first thing is starting to say, is there something going on here that really isn't useful for this person or damaging to other people? And even if they don't recognize it themselves at all, and which is very often the case, people are in what we call in psychology pre-contemplation. They, everybody else can see they have a problem, but they can't see that they have a problem whatsoever. So now, say you're a person who can see that somebody in your family has a problem, right? Now, you're probably going to be anxious about telling them something about that because they don't recognize it at all. And we human beings don't like to be confronted with things that we don't, <laughs> we, the way we don't see ourselves, especially if it's big, right? And you might even probably be angry about what they're doing, right? They're destroying their life, and it's horrible to watch somebody do that. So you have to start to deal with your own resistance to doing that. You have to start first off say, what is scaring me? Uh, I know, um, you know, in my own life, I had somebody in my life come to me uh, when I was in high school, a friend of mine, and say to me, you know, Rich, I I'm concerned I'm wondering if I might have a problem with alcohol. This person was about 16, we were about, I was about 17, right? I didn't have a clue about how to diagnose alcohol problem. Looking back, I wish I had said to him, you know, I, I really don't know, which I did say at the time. I said, I don't really, I don't think so, but I don't really know, you know, but I don't think so. I wish I had said, you know, I don't really know, but let's go talk to somebody who does know you know, who can help us, and I'll go with you. I'll support you in that effort, right? Uh, so you have to, first off, just deal with your own ignorance, and then secondly, deal with any emotional resistance, because one, one thing for me, oftentimes I hear from people, is I'm afraid I might lose the relationship. If I tell the person, you know, hey, I think you've got an alcohol problem, you know, or a drug problem, I'm afraid they're going to cut me off from their life. Well, the fact is, if they keep drinking and drugging, you are indeed going to lose your relationship because they're going to be related to the bottle or the needle or the pills, and they're not going to be related to you. The other fact is that if the earlier on you can address the problem, the better off you are because if it's very early on, like perhaps with my friend when I was in high school, if I said, yeah, I think you do, or let's go see somebody, fine, and he did, it wouldn't, you know, because five years, two, three, four, five years later, the person's brain has changed. That brain is now, uh, it, the drug or alcohol has got, is choking the life out of the brain. The per person is desperate for the drug or alcohol. And it is so much harder to stop. Like I was on the way here today, I was thinking of a good analogy that everyday people could relate to about this. Like, uh, most people drink coffee, or a lot of people drink coffee. If I said to you, "Okay, uh, you got to you got to stop drinking coffee because it's doing bad things to you," right? And <clears throat> you would be like, "Wow, that really stop drinking coffee? I every day. What am I going to do?" Right now, put on top of that, if you thought, "Yeah, if I'm going to stop drinking coffee, I'm going to feel like I'm dying for weeks. I'm going to feel like I have the flu tonight." 
And I'm going to know if I have a drink of coffee, I'm going to feel better instantly. Well, that's what it's like to start getting rid of alcohol or drugs if you're addicted. You're going to feel like you're on the edge of death, you know. So you have to deal with Now, of course, good addiction folks can help you deal with those things with medications, et cetera, so you don't have that dreadful experience. But you, you'll be afraid that that's going to happen. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm Linda Cohen along with psychologist Dr. Rich O'Neill. We're talking about drug and alcohol addiction and what families can do to help. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, with some children drinking very young because maybe the family itself is dysfunctional. So, yes. But what if it's not quite as extreme as that? But there's, yes. But there is a family history. Let's yeah. say you're noticing your son, your young son, is showing some signs of potential drug or alcohol addiction, and your father yeah. was an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, how does that complicate or how does that impact on the, the family's ability to a either embrace the you know the need to intervene or their ability to intervene. Yeah. Well, you if you have a family history, first off, you might be much less likely to be able to recognize it because the norm in the family is everybody drinks. This is just normal, right? This is the way adults are. You know. Oh yeah. When I was in high school, yeah, I used to get blotto, you know, and drink, and uh, that's what everybody. And, and to some extent, that's true. That's the culture in high school. But so you have to be able to step outside the norm, and oftentimes that's difficult in and of itself. But then families get confronted with problems like so. If you've got a uh, say, some now it's very very common, unfortunately, for people to be addicted to heroin because of the prescription opioid problem epidemic we have in the country. So, but there, say you have a daughter or a son who's addicted to heroin, right? Now what do you do? Okay, so you have this hor- these horrible dilemmas people come in my office and tell me about, like, oh, my daughter's addicted to heroin. I refuse to give her money. Now what she's doing is prostituting herself to get the money to do the drugs, and then she wants me to pick her up from the motel where she just earned some money to get the drugs. Do I pick her up or do I leave her there? So that leads me terrible dilemmas. That absolutely leads me to the next question, and that really, I mean, really, what we're trying to get our arms around is what do people do? What is enabling, and what does it exactly mean? And how do we stop doing that? Because it sounds to me like that kind of boundary setting or that kind of behavior is crucial for families to understand. Yeah, Uh, enabling is doing, in my definition, doing anything that supports the person continuing to do the alcohol or drugs, right? They, they have an alcohol or drug problem. Now, that said, that is much easier said than done. So you can say, well, am I going to turn my daughter into the police because she's shooting up heroin in my house, right? Am I going to send her to jail? That's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, for me, uh, the, the tipping point, for me was with my friend that I was telling you about from high school. He became a very, very, very serious alcoholic, multiple DWIs, multiple hospitalizations for car crashes. And I was tortured. I did everything I could to, you know, rational talk to him, tell him, you know, hey, what are you doing? You know, you know, wh- wh- let's see if we can stop this. How come you're, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Never gave him money, never gave him rides, never did anything like that, which all would be enabling, right? Uh, and I, I was just tortured. And finally, I understood at a certain point, I had to get to the point where I realized 
he was going to die if he continued this. It was going to just be a matter of time. Either he's going to die of cirrhosis of the liver or he's going to die of, you know, which was already starting to develop like 20 years in, you know, or he was going to have a car crash or he was going to whatever, right? There was going to be some accident or something. And at the point when I realized I had absolutely no control, there was nothing I could do. Talk to him, give him money, not give him money, argue with him, yell at him, hug him, tell him I loved him. It, it was nothing. When I accepted the fact that I was totally powerless, totally helpless, and that probably he was going to die, then I felt free myself. And all I could do at that point was, at one point I told him that. He and I were having a talk about, his, he was drunk or, or had been recently drunk. Don't talk to the person while they're drunk, by the way, because it's not going to work. Or, or talk to him if you want to some other time. But, and finally I said to him, you know, I love you very much. I can see your alcohol and drugs by that time too. Your alcohol and drug problem is just absolutely ruining your life. And I've accepted the fact that you're probably going to die soon, that I'm going to have to go well, to your funeral. But that frees you, but that doesn't help the person. So, Well, I don't know if that's true, Linda. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So as long as you are in the what I call the illusion of a relationship with the person, where they are still arguing with you, that allows them to think the problem is between you and them rather than the problem is between them and their alcohol and drugs. So I don't want to run out of time. Yeah. So how, do you, how does that relate to this whole concept of tough love then? So what is tough love? Is that basically well, I, saying, I don't, know how I don't define that, love you anymore, I can't no, no, deal no, no, with no, you no, anymore? No, no, no. For me, it would be, in my, my life, it would be, I still love you, and I'm accepting the fact that you're on a path probably to a very early death. And I'll be here in any way I can to support you in stopping that. But I'm not going to participate in any way in supporting you and continuing that. So, so what does seem to work? I mean, you know, they talk about interventions. They talk about the whole family. There's no real evidence that they're, that they're good, that they work. There's, there's a lot of controversy about those. So just because I don't so want to run out, out of we time. We know AA works, and we know NA works, and we know treatment works. It may take multiple attempts, may take multiple tries at treatment. It's like by the time you get to somebody who is seriously addicted, their brain has been ravaged by it, and it may take multiple times. You have to may deal have to deal with relapses, multiple relapses. Uh, but all of those things work. But what does the family need to do? Well, stand get, by and get, just say this is what's going to happen get, to you. Get well. That's one thing you can do. You can say, but you can say, "I love you. I'll support you. I want to work with you to get you into treatment. I'll do anything I can that, to help you with that. I'll be glad to drive you there. I'll be glad to take you to your appointments. I'll be glad to, uh, you know, do whatever I can to support your treatment. Uh, you can call me anytime, day or night, if you're at the, that point where you're about to pick up the drink or the needle or the pills or whatever, you can call me, right? You, and I'll be there to, to be with you to help you stop that. And that's basically it. That's the, it's up to the other person. At ultimately. That point, ultimately, get out of the illusion that you can do something. They have to do it. I'm going to leave it right there. Yeah. That's very poignant and unfortunately 
Very true. My guest has been psychologist Dr. Rich O'Neill. He's a psychologist in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. And I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.